and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, kanga banger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, honkies. And joining us on this special episode is the host with the ghost, the lyrical luchador that makes the ladies roar, Lord Scuba Steve Vasquez. LBA, baby, how's it going? <laughs> we got a doozy of an episode for you today, but you know what time it is. It's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? It all goes, mate. It all goes extremely well. Uh, as I say every week, working flat out, flat out down this way. Uh, it never fucking ends, so kill me now. Uh, been moving house, um, and that's been fucking a slow process, but it's good. It's good. We're in a good fucking area. There's no no dramas. Haven't been broken into yet. But give it time. It's only been a fucking week. Um, also, the other week, I went in for a draw to win a free a Blu-ray with imprint films, mm. and, and I won it. It Woo! was the oh, face behind the mask from uh, 1941. Uh, so, yeah, it's a crime noir story. So mm. I'm hoping for one of the seasons we can actually review this bad boy. Uh, it looks really, really good. But, yeah, no, other than that, just watch this fantastic fucking film. Um, yeah, that's that's about it with me. What about you, Scoobs? How you been, mate? Man, I have been good. I have just been, you know, working, doing the whole summer school thing still. Uh, that's about to come to an end. But unfortunately, I get back to my calendar day before summer school starts. So I'll be back at work working uh, four 10-hour days. Not excited for that. But at least I'll get Fridays off for, for a bit before school actually kicks off. So just, you know, doing the summer school thing, trying to plan uh, this investigation we have coming up uh, with Dark Side Paranormal, getting things ready for the last episode the last season episode of uh somewhat supernatural which will should be next week um and then uh i have you know watched this film and like i said <laughs> just you know doing doing the same stuff watching movies i want to watch black widow today i saw the purge you know um also we have a brand new brand spanking new podcast that my boys from dark side paranormal will be on with me called the ghost vatos chronicle um we're going to be reviewing our own footage on that show um, and other, you know, other, other stuff from around the internet, try to debunk stuff if we can. Um, and if not, then, you know, market paranormal. Cause you know, there's a lot of stuff online, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that we do too on, on, on our, you know, on our, uh, uh, investigations that somebody else may have an explanation for that we don't have an explanation for. So everybody's welcome to come and watch. So that way, you know, we can get that going, but that's about it. What about you boss, man? Well, as I say each week and every week, I did podcasts here, podcasts, there, podcasts everywhere, did a little bit of pre-production stuff talk to brody you know the normal stuff uh did you see that mvd announced jack frost 2 today i am excited i am over the moon that that film's getting a proper blu-ray release and it sucks that vinegar syndrome's not getting this one but at least mvd is and at least we're getting it so yeah also i see that the star trek uh one through four is getting a 4k box set and that looks absolutely exquisite for all you trekkies out there and it does look like uh what is it five through eight are gonna get individual releases for fans of the later films. So yeah, that's also really cool. Yeah, today just kind of hung out, went and bought a new dryer, but I'm more excited to talk about this film. And this film is Upgrade from 2018. Can I have everybody's attention? I'm looking for the guys who murdered my wife. <laughs> Are you one of them? Yeah. Stan, you can take over. Thank you. I now have full control. Hi! You upgraded. Now you're stronger. Faster. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
better than everyone else. And that is from director Lee Whannell, who also did Insidious Chapter 3, The Invisible Man from 2020, and is slated to do The Wolfman and Escape from New York. Writers, also Lee Whannell, who also wrote films such as Saw from 2004, Dead Silence from 2007, Insidious from 2010, and The Mule in 2014. Cinematographer Stefan Duskio, who also did Canopy in 2013, Backtrack in 2015, Jungle in 2017, and The Invisible Man in 2020. Music is Jed Palmer, who also did A Parachute Falling in Siberia from 2010, that is a short, The Infinite Man in 2014, Other Life in 2017, and Animals in 2019. Production designer Felicity Abbott, who worked on The Catalpa Rescue in 2007, The Last Confession of Alexander Pierce in 2008, and The Killing Field 2014, and The Unholy in 2021. Producers Jason Blum, Kylie Dufresne, Brian Cavanaugh, Jones. Costume designer Maria Pattinson, who worked on The Long Weekend in 2008, which Brody says sucks. Don't be afraid of the dark in 2010. I, Frankenstein in 2014 in the Ghost in the Shell adaptation in 2017. Budget $3 million starring Logan Marshall Green as Grey Trace, who also did Across the Universe in 2007, Prometheus in 2012, and The Invitation in 2015, and he played Shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming from 2017. Melanie Vallejo as Asha Trace, who was the Blue Ranger in Power Rangers Mystic Force from 2006. She also starred in Dying Breed in 2008, Packed the Raptors in 2009, which is a TV show, and starred in Winners and Losers from 2008. 2011 to 2016. Steve Danielson as Jeff Hanley, who starred in You and Your Stupid Mate in 2005. That is a biography about me and Brody. Offspring in 2011. The Doctor Blake Mysteries in 2014. And The Flame Wars in 2015. Okay, and Abby Creighton as Kara, the voice, which we think is the house. And she did voices in Justice League Heroes from 2006, Star Wars The Old Republic in 2015, Doom, the 2016 game, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare from 2020. Harrison Gilbert as Eron Keen, who also starred in Accidents Happened in 2009, Need for Speed in 2014, Fallen in 2016, and In the Tall Grass in 2019. Benedict Hardy as Fisk, who also was in Frank and Jerry in 2011, Hacksaw Ridge in 2016, Necrotonic in 2018, and The Invisible Man in 2020. Richard Cathaw as Cirque, who was also in Razor Eaters in 2003, Blue Healers from 2001 to 2006, The Pacific, the TV show, I believe that was an HBO thing, and Wolf Creek in 2016. And lastly, Christopher Kirby as Tolan, the guy who gets his face cut up from the Mason the Matrix Reloaded in 2003, Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith in 2005, Daybreakers in 2009, and Iron Sky in 2012. In a not so distant future where the machines have seamlessly integrated into the multifaceted aspects of our lives, the world relies almost entirely on technology to do even the most complicated tasks for us. As a result, more and more the old school tech shy car mechanic Gray Trace is feeling like a fish out of water, a stubbornly analog man living in a brave new digital world. Then Suddenly, a terrible late-night incident robs Gray of his happiness, leaving him an empty quadriplegic. Now, the reclusive tech mogul Aaron Keane comes up with an offer, promising Gray, promising Trace to bridge the painful gap between his unresponsive limbs and his brain with the aid of his latest state-of-the-art invention, the powerful stem microchip. But what if the cure is worse than the disease? Die, die, die! Okay! 
and this thing won a ton of awards. Let me get a breather before I get a little long-winded here. Brody, you picked it. You're to blame. Let's get this over with. Okay, so this movie won a fuck ton of awards, including South by Southwest Film Festival in 2018. The Audience Award for goes to Lee Winnell. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. The IGN Summer Movie Awards in 2018. The IGN Award Best Action Movie nominee. Golden Schmoes Award in 2018. Best Sci-Fi Movie of the Year nominee. Biggest Surprise of the Year nominee. Most Underrated Movie of the Year nominee. Australian Production Design Guild Award in 2018. Set production of a feature film goes to Katie Schrock. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Production designer on a feature film Felicity Abbott nominee. Australian Screen Editors in 2018. Best Editing in a Feature Film Andy Canny nominee. Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards in 2018. These are all nominees, so I'll just read them off as such. Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Music Score, Best Editing, Best Sound, Best Production Design, Best Visual Effects or Animation, Best Hair and Makeup. The Fangoria Chainsaw Awards in 2019, Best Actor, Logan Marshall Green, nominee. Best Wide Release Film, Lee Winnell, nominee. Australian Film Critics Association Awards 2019, Best Screenplay, Lee Winnell, nominee. Austin Film Critics Association 2019, Best Stunts, nominee. Lastly, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films of the United States of America in 2019, the Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, nominee. Ladies and germs, let's get physical. Okay, so Brody says that there is a release from Second Sight Films that is now OOP. So we won't talk about that, but what we will talk about is the one that is available to you right now, and that is the release from Universal Studios from August 28th, 2018. And that includes a video of 1080p audio, DTS HD Master Audio 5.1, subtitles for the English, French, and Spanish region free, because that's how we like it. Currently on Amazon for $11.50 or on eBay for $21.44 if you want to overpay. Brody, take it away! In an interview with MonsterFest in 2018, which can be seen on YouTube, Lee Winnell talks about the whole idea of Upgrade and how it came to him. Upgrade was a film that came to me when I was sitting in my backyard and this image and idea just popped up into my head of a quadriplegic person, someone with paralysis from the neck down and being controlled by a computer, which a chip was installed in the neck and controlled their body for them. So it was basically this tandem exercise between a human being and a computer. I just couldn't stop thinking about it and that's usually a first sign that I'm going to write a film because I have a lot of ideas to which most come at random times and usually they are bad. So once I really scrutinize the idea and shoot holes in it, I realize it's a terrible idea for a film. But this one, I couldn't get out of my head and I started building a story around it. Steve? In the same MonsterFest interview, Lee also goes to talk about the influence and inspiration for the film. Bonnell states, as I was writing it, I was really influenced by science fiction that I grew up within the 80s. I, of course, think of The Terminator, Robocop, and Scanners are all amazing films that I love to this day. But the reason that they were influential with this story was because they were science fiction films that were contained and driven by practical effects, which felt achievable to me. Those films were made on the smell of an oily rag. They are lean and mean, very creative, and that's what I wanted to do. Lee spoke about making the film in Australia. Now, the decision to shoot an up upgrade in Australia was actually a suggestion that came from Jason Blum, the producer of Blumhouse. So when he suggested Australia, I was extremely cool with it, given that I am Australian, but he was the one that had the idea because he felt that Australia would be a better way to get more bang for your buck, get more out of the budget due to trying to do something ambitious, something that was set in a few 
future world, which was a hard thing to do as he was right. I really feel like that we could not have made this film anywhere else in Australia. Was that the right place to do it? I also insisted that we shoot in Melbourne because I felt that Melbourne was the best city for the feel of the film, and I'm glad I did it. When asked about his camera style and technique throughout the film, Wanell states, that was something that I always wanted to do. In the script, in the action description, I'd actually written... Note, when Gray, when Gray fights, it's very strange and stilted. It's that abstract thing that a writer can write. And all of a sudden, based on that one sentence, 20 production people have a migraine because they have to figure out what strange and stilted means. When we got into <laughs> pre-production, I sat down with the stunt team and the DP and said, how are, we gonna, how are we going to depict strange and stilted? When you're making a film with fight scenes, you know that you're the latest in a long tradition of fight scenes going back to the earliest movies. So what are you going to do to add to the conversation? Are you just going to go for a standard fight scenes and not add anything? I was keen to do something, but the trick is we didn't have a lot of money. It's easier to add something to the conversation when you have a lot of resources, time and money. Then you can do the matrix. I would say The Matrix is one of the more recent movies that really added something to the fight scene conversation. So I wondered what our theme would be. The stunt team was killing itself trying to work out this very clipped robotic style of fighting. Then at the 11th hour, Stefan said, I did this music video last year where we actually locked the camera onto the actor. What you're talking about is that effect where it feels like Requiem for a Dream, where you rig, where the rig is attached to the actor. This is like a remote version of that. You take an iPhone, strap it up on the actor's clothes and the camera lens locks to the phone so whenever the phone moves it sits in a housing like motion control and the steady cam operator would hold the camera's housing and the camera would sit in a swivel and wherever logan moved it would go it's all in camera it's not done in post i'm so glad stefan said that because as soon as he showed me the music video he'd done, I knew it was the final piece of the puzzle. I think all of these steps we've taken, Logan's training, the stunt team's fighting style, this camera trick, will all, all add up to what I'm trying to achieve. In an interview with TechCrunch, Wenell is asked about the tension and deliverance of the human Pez dispenser scene. Wenell states, if you look at that scene and you analyze the structure, there is kind of a horror-esque metronomy to it, where it's quiet, it's tense, and there's an explosion of something. And in watching it, it's it's been interesting to see that the scene gets a vocal reaction. It's not the same reaction that a horror movie gets, that sort of scream in the audience, but it's almost like an adrenaline rush. And when he gets up off the floor, I see people clapping along. I'm like, oh, cool. This is a spectacular sport they're getting into as participants. <laughs> Jesus Christ. When asked about visually creating this world with creativity freedom, one else states, it's just been a real goal and a dream of mine to do that. To make a movie that enjoyed the world building of sci-fi, but took advantage of the creative freedom of an independent. The problem is that it one is supposed to cancel out the other. You're not supposed to need studio money if you're going to go off and make the future set action movie. So I really was trying to have my cake and eat it, but I was obsessed with doing it. As a model, I used 80s sci-fi films that I grew up with. I used the original Terminator as a great example because if you really study the movie scene by scene, the science fiction and tech is doled out very judiciously and sparingly. It's kind of this lean and mean slash and stock movie that is dressed in this sci-fi skin and i love that i feel like if they can achieve that sort of slate slate sleight of hand in the 80s, then we could do it now, especially with the new advantages that they didn't have back then of CG. We could use CG to augment some of the scenes. We couldn't go bananas with it, but we could utilize it at certain moments. 
and I guess I'm too close to the movie. I've spent too long with it to know if we've really succeeded, but I'm hoping that the audience feels that they're watching a bigger movie, you know, that they're part of a bigger world. In an interview with The Hollywood News in 2018, Winnell was asked about the physicality that Logan Marshall Green brought to his role. Winnell states, yeah, the first time we talked on the phone, it was all very quick. I remember I suggested it to him and Jason Blum, to which he said, sitting right in front of me like you are now, I'll call his agent. He picked up the phone. It was very entourage. He was like, hey, yeah, it's Jay. We're thinking about uh, Logan Marshall Green. I was just thinking, is that how it really happens? Then eight hours later, I was on the phone with him. I said to him, so in this movie, I want your body to be doing something different than your head. There was silence on the phone. I think whenever you're not sitting right with somebody, silence is dangerous because you can't see the expression <laughs> on their face. I was thinking, God, is he thinking of not doing this movie? Then after a long pause, he said, cool, which is very Logan, very low key. What I later discovered is that me saying that is what makes made him want to do the movie because he's one of those actors. He's a very well-trained actor. He went to theatre school in New York. He's one of those actors' actors. He's not in it for the parties. He's very serious about it and he loves a physical challenge. As soon as he knew he had the role, he started training. He didn't have time to wait for us to be in the official pre-production. He just started emailing me videos. I would just get an email from him and it would be a video of him in his backyard walking around and I would give him feedback. So there was a real relationship between us. I would say, don't robot dance. I don't want you to look like C-3PO. I remember one note I gave him. I said, it's less robot and more perfect. Just be perfect. Have you ever seen those people who are really great at yoga and they stand a little bit better and they just seem a little bit more perfect, whereas you and I are all hunched over from sitting at desks. That's what I said to Logan. I said, forget robots and think perfection because if you think about it, computer chip wouldn't want a human to be robotic. They would be perfect. He said later that he was in pain during the making of the film because it was painful for him to have good posture. His posture was usually so bad like me that it's actually painful to be good for long periods of time. Our bodies are just so not used to it. It's like, what are you doing? What happened to this as he hunches over? It was a great relationship between us and talking about the movement. It was a real collaboration to get it to that point. Wanell talks about the fight sequences. Great fun to shoot. I mean, we didn't have a lot of time. I think if you're doing a fight scene in a James Bond movie, they have so much money, they probably take a week or two to shoot a fight scene. They have a fight scene in this hotel room the director is all right so bond grabs him throws him up against the window and then they rehearse it for days and days before they shoot we were the opposite we came in and we had like four hours to shoot a whole scene it's stressful but what that does is it gives it this real run and gun energy what you saw in the movie the energy on set wasn't far off that whereas when you go and see a bond movie the fight scene looks slick but the shooting of it was very slow it's like okay Daniel hit him and then we'll do it again and again and again. That first fight scene where he comes to life and beats the shit out of that guy, I think we had three takes. It has its good and its bad qualities. The bad quality is that it's scary. If I only have three takes, what if there's no good ones? We're fucked. But the positive of it is that there's this energy that comes from it. Films are usually pretty slow. They're pretty boring. Nothing is happening. This set, especially during the fight scenes, the energy was just electric. It was like you were in the fight scene. My producer would be, hurry up, hurry up. And the steady cam operator, AJ, he had worked on Mad Max Fury Road. We're talking about a professional guy who's worked a bunch. He was our steady cam operator, so he had the skills to just grab the camera and go, I'll get it, I'll get it. I think it shaved years off my life, but something was captured. Some of the scrappiness was captured. In an interview with Third Coast Review, 
interview in 2020, Lee was asked if he might wonder about it or joked on the set about what might happen in a sequel. When I replied, those jokes definitely did come up, but by not allowing myself to think about the sequel, when the thought comes in my mind, I can push it away and not anger the movie gods. My feeling is that as soon as I start to really plan the sequel, the movie gods will be like, oh, you think so? Well, guess what? Your film's going to be shit. Fair enough. Okay, boys, let's talk about it! Okay, so favorite performance of the film. Brody Kane, take it away! Well, I'm going to have to go with Logan Marshall Green as Grey Trace. I mean... How could you not choose him, especially, you know, the way he juggles with the Jacqueline Hyde um, with his body language? I mean, but that's what Lee Lee Winnell does uh, for his characters so well is, you know, for us viewers to be emotionally invested in these characters, I mean, it, it definitely delivers a better and perfected performance. But by the end of the film, you actually feel that he is this different person when STEM takes over. So, you know, especially like what we just mentioned, his dedication to prepping for the character is impressive. I mean, all done by Skype or whatever it was. But, you know, but even when he's paralyzed, just sitting there, you know, his facial expressions and vocal input are intriguing to watch because, like I said, you're really invested in this character. But, yeah, I don't know. Logan just sells it so much. He's really good. You see the first time he can actually walk, the way he can actually move. It's the way he articulates himself. It's, it's just very yeah. unique and allows you to believe that he is taken over by a machine. Absolutely, yeah. But it, even at the start when he's paralyzed and he gets up on the crutches for the first time, you see he's – it looks like he's double-jointed, but it's just – yeah, I think it's also with the sound technique and editing all yeah. together. Because you can hear the bone crunching because he just hasn't moved his limbs for ages. So, yeah, no, I think it's – I'd have to go with Logan for that. Steve? I'd have to agree with Brody, man. I mean, he, he did great, um, and especially because we really don't get a lot of time with him before he's paralyzed. You know, it, it's not much time that, you know, we actually get to see him, like, up and moving around and stuff other than working on the car and, you know, them driving to, to errands for the first time. You really don't get to see, like, how he moves. But as, like, a paraplegic, like, he did – like, you could see the anguish in his face, you know, from – I mean, hell, watch it i was like man i i could i couldn't live like that you know just to be able to move my head and that's it i mean and you just see that emotion in his face and he did such a great job portraying it and then when stem first kicks in you know how Brody said you, you see how he gets out of bed and how it's still like he's learning to walk again he's learning to move again but it's going really fast because yes it's him learning to do it again but it's stem taking over he did a great job portraying that as well now when the when stem you know takes over for that first time and you get that you know those, those fluid movements of him fighting and you get you know his head like it like like you said his head had to do something different from what his body was doing he just pulled that off so well and it was so believable I mean you have to go with, with him. As to differentiate my answer from you guys, I will agree that Homeboy did a great job, but I also want to mention the portrayal of the character of Fisk and how cold and how cold Benedict Hardy portrayed the whole character of Fisk. I just think that he's such a good bad guy and it's almost a callback to those early 80s action film bad guys. He's just so, so intimidating, but yet so... 
he's so in control and we don't really see him lose control until the end when he realizes that he really kind of pokes and prods at uh, the fact that he killed his brother so I don't know he just he brings the bad guy back to the bad guy role I think he does yeah, he really good that, here he had that like really really like futuristic Bond villain yeah. vibe from him you know and that handgun was badass and it goes to show that you don't need to be this big beefy dude to, to be intimidating it's just all about yeah. the way that you uh portray yourself and carry yourself that really makes the difference here so yeah okay so moving on my guys favorite set piece well this was a fucking tough one because they're all good i actually really like them all um you know you got that neon lighting and big industrial structures happening throughout the film but Look, I reckon I'll have to go with, go with uh, Aaron Keane's underground bunker, you know, that house that he has. And, you know, some of the most iconic shots uh, in the film come from his house, I find, um, especially near the end where Grey walks down that large. Lee hill. Winnell's really big about his bad guys having like these grand like set pieces because Invisible Man is a really yes. big house. It's super yeah. unique. You know what I mean? So and Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't really fill it up with anything. Like, I mean, the house in The Invisible Man, it's mm-hmm. basically a bed and fucking hardly anything in there. And Minimalist exactly AF. Yeah, it just makes it feel so wide and open. I really like it. It's well, minus like, the cloud. You know, well, yeah. yes. Yeah, and the operating table. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 definitely, I definitely have to go with that. Um, but I will give a shout out to the old warehouse where they um, overwrite Aaron's code for STEM. Cool AF. Well, to freeze STEM. Ready Player yeah, One that vibes. Cool. That's that, yes. that was, that's actually my favorite set piece is that mm. that apartment building where you just have fucking tons of people just hooked up to VR that have no idea what's going on in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, did Absolutely. you say this was shot in Sydney? No, Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, well that's, yeah. uh, that's interesting. They did a really good job with just the way that they made the city look futuristic and the way that they, I don't know even whenever they did the panning shot of the bridge even the bridge looked futuristic and i just thought that was really rad but when it comes to set piece i love the interior of our mains house i think that's really cool again brody said uh the minimalist style that just kind of lends to the whole futuristic type thing and you know whenever uh lee said there one of those interviews about taking a more minimalist approach uh like terminator did with the way that the uh, technology is integrated into society more of like a diet coke approach as it's there to ape things and along it's it, it's cool it, it's not overpowering things like in a star wars film but it's it, it's it's still prevalent and it, you can see it visually uh i love how he tried to uh like okay the house changes a little bit after homeboy becomes a paraplegic well quadriplegic sorry after homeboy becomes a quadriplegic and you see all these devices and stuff get installed around the house that allow him to live his daily life i just think that just the way that that, that house you just spend so much time in there it's just such a cool place so yeah just to reiterate the interiors of that house just so cool and you know you you know that had to as the character that had to kill him Mm -hmm. to be dependent on you know robotics like that because he was such an analog guy you know so that i mean that yeah it it was it was i think the set piece is really aided to the character progression because as he was forced to deal more and more with this you could see his frustrations get more and even utilize that same technology to try to kill himself at some point yeah so yeah i uh yeah it's just everything. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. Brody? Uh, fun fact, and I don't know if you two picked up on this, but you can actually see spray painted on the wall in that uh, warehouse scene uh, a Billy puppet on the wall. Did you see that from Saw? 
Oh, I did you know, not see that. From yeah, you can see that. And also a J1 when he's pressing the buzzers for the head. Uh, the ah, J1. Oh, nice. So nice little throwback there. But yeah. Fucking A. So favorite scene or shot? Um, yeah, I I think I went with the the ending, the big twist reveal. You know, as Gray's mind snaps and Stem finally takes over, it just, it, it gave me chills actually to see that for the first time. And it's all in the way Gray's empty body moves to how stem would operate like how his pupils are dilated yeah like there's whole it's a hollow vessel and stem's just yep. taken over now and it, it to stem to taste the blood now this is I, I couldn't i couldn't help but ask myself this question all the time because it was interesting to see stem like taste human blood for the first time and i know it's just random as fuck but i was just so wrapped up in stem becoming human and i was asking the weird question what does stem think of human blood in that sense i mean it was just a fucking random random question but can stem understand how to taste yes yes that's what i mean and but and if he could for the first time he's tasting human blood so where does that this is an interesting thing how about you go ask your your buddy lee lee winnell oh yeah i'll just call him up on the phone (laughs) now brody you've actually met lee winnell yes i did and i absolutely fanboyed and take the take the time to tell the story buddy okay so I was going to the upgrade uh, Q&A uh, in Melbourne and just a screening uh, of a Q&A with Lee Winnell. And I had to try and beat the traffic because I was living uh, about an hour away in Geelong. Mm-hmm. So I beat the traffic, got there, etc. Anyway, I'm waiting at the front of the cinema. Next minute, I look up and here comes fucking Lee Winnell. It was like that scene in a movie where it's slow motion. It's yeah. like slow motion. And he had the biggest smile on his face, not a care in the fucking world. And I'm just like, dude, he's so fucking cool. So <laughs> me being me, I got all fucking worked up and I'm like, all right, Brody, you do not make a fuckhead out of yourself. Just don't do it. Meet the guy. Anyway, so me, yeah, I just had a lot of shit going through my head. I followed him up the stairs like I was stalking him. He spoke to the clerk behind the desk at the cinema and then he turned around and I just sort of met him halfway and I'm like, oh, Lee, how are you, mate? And he's like, yeah, hey, how you going, man? What's happening? And then I introduced myself and then we got talking and asked him a few questions, but it was just, it was just a blur. But yeah, no, Lee's like the fucking nicest dude you'll ever meet. Um, He was even asking me about like if I was making film and stuff. And I said, actually, I'm going to film school at the moment, which I was. And he's like, oh, what are, what are you what are you making at the moment? Are you making a horror film or what are you doing? He's really intrigued. And then I told him my idea and he's like, that sounds really good. And he goes, I will let you in a word of advice. He goes, it's going to fucking suck. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, no worries. And he's like, I'm not trying to like rain on your parade or anything. He goes like, your first film always sucks. And he goes, that's what happened to me and James when we went to film school in Melbourne. And but then we learned our lessons from that and then made Saw and I mean, the rest is history, isn't it? So, yeah, no, Lee. Lee's the nicest dude. If you ever, ever get the chance to meet the guy, do it because he's just fucking full of knowledge. But, yeah, long story short. And to cap off that uh, story, Brody, your short doesn't suck. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so boys. Oh, I, did, I guess I didn't say mine. Favorite scene or shot. I didn't say mine either. Or Steve. Okay, Steve. <laughs> uh, that My favorite, I mean, and it's probably going to be cliche, but when STEM first kicks on, that first fighting scene, mm-hmm. it was just brutal. Like I said, I love What Venom should have been, right? It, exactly. It is exactly what Venom should have been. My favorite scene would have to be uh, the bar. I really love the bar atmosphere. I think it's very dirty, very filthy, very 
very grungy feeling. I love the characters that are inside the bar. And then when we see Homeboy from Star Wars show up, he's a very imposing character. And uh, the way he approaches him and then the dialogue interaction between those two, followed up by that gorgeous lighting shot of the interior of the bathroom and just how the entire production design of that bathroom. So let's talk. I mentioned the lighting. How about the, the gun casings all over the floor? Absolutely gnarly. And then how he just kind of sprawls him out on the floor and then proceeds to stab him as as a test to see if he's actually quadriplegic after he made the what do we want to say after he made the statement that he killed his buddy so I think that that just the way that that was filmed and the, the way that the cinematography went into creating that entire scene was just fantastic and it was just aesthetically pleasing visually pleasing and then the violence was equally pl- uh, entertaining that was executed within that uh, set piece. Absolutely. Fucking spot on, mate. Favorite effect Ooh, or that's death? another tough question. Ooh, ah, well, I'm going to have to go with the fucking human Pez dispenser. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's too cool. That's I, li- I like the way Fisk died. Like, I had so much, like, just satisfaction when Finch died. And that, uh, that wasn't Stem. That was all him right no stem did no, do was, the yeah. final blow but yeah it was what he said to fisk that oh i thought a, i right. thought stem was congratulating him on actually killing him instead of well i think stem was congratulating him on getting him off his rocks you know what i mean like getting him you know from distracted enough to for him to be able to have time to get back up mm. fair enough yeah. yeah no um i just wish Now, a lot of people would watch the Red Band trailer uh, for this film, and this shows nearly all the fucking deaths in it. And I only wish that I hadn't have watched that trailer um, because I think it would have been obviously a bit more effective on me to see that knife to the fucking mouth and slice the jaw back. I was was ready for that in the cinemas when I saw it, even though, yes. That's just Blumhouse really selling the gore. So they can appeal to a wider audience, though. Oh, and that's another thing that Lee actually said at the Q&A. He goes, I specifically said to Jason, I said, look, don't show the majority of the kills. What does Jason do? He goes and fucking shows <laughs> all of them. And, yeah, he goes, I wasn't really happy on that at all. He goes, because the first trailer that was re- released was obviously Green Band, uh, whatever you fucking call it. Yeah. But, yeah. He was really dirty on him about that. Can't blow your load in the trailer, you know what I'm saying? Most movies do, though, nowadays. Yeah. Not everything can be sweet TV spots from the early 2000s. I wish it was. What was your favorite death, Mr. Bowser? Love the Pez Dispenser. I'm still here, by the way. Uh, Love the Pez Dispenser. Really love Fisk's deaths, though. Love any glass kill. I'm a huge fan of Argento, and that is super prevalent in all of his films, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, But, yeah, I love the Fisk death, and I love the Pez Dispenser. Very nice. Steve said his favorite death. I did. Thoughts on story, Brody Kane. Well, I think it works so well, uh, especially with today, because, you know, we are developing with technology so much that I will not be surprised that this will be able, well, we will be able to do this or have this done to us in the near future. I think Lee set out to make a love letter to his exploitation in 80s films and, you know, and highly succeed for a new age audience. And uh, yes, most elements have been done before, but Lee helps make it his own film with a fresh new take on the genre within uh with that body horror you know aspect and you and you know me i'm all about that shit all day every day but overall yeah i i really like the story and like i said it's a perfect love letter to the those uh ro- well robocop death wish and yeah 
Fucking A. Steve? I have to agree with Brody, man. Um, you know, it, it was, we, we really don't, I mean, other than Gray, we really don't get a lot of character buildup, which is fine. I mean, the, the stories about him and Stem, you know, I would like to have known a little bit more about Aaron and a little bit more about, you know, some of the some of the other guys. That's really the only downside to it. It's a well-written story, you know, you get from point A to point B, you know, and it gets its point across, you know, it, it's your it's your basic revenge love story per se like the crow you know except he didn't die he was paralyzed and something brought him back and he was able to get his revenge um i love a good revenge movie and there's always you know that satisfaction you get when they get that fucking final bad guy and even though it played out differently at end that for me was the biggest like holy shit because i never saw that coming you know i I thought this was just going to be your typical he gets his revenge he you know he's either going to die or he you know lives his happy little life which in a sense he does get to live his happy little life you know in his in this little virtual reality world but it, it was a great story like I, I loved it i this is definitely one that I, ha- I had never seen it before but i will definitely watch it again mr Woodnell loves his fucking plot twists and this film is no exception now i i love his invisible man film i think it's one of the best things to come out of modern cinema in a very long time and i will stand by that with this film i love it not as much but definitely super entertaining and the story is just absolutely bonkers and i like i said the twist is just solely winnell and it just makes the film just 10 times better because it adds such a good motivation and it shows and explains why things happen and i think that in a world where film doesn't spend enough time with its exposition to explain things in a proper manner this film delivers it all especially seeing how like we mentioned earlier with how the set changes and how that affects the character and just the way that lee approached that concept alone and then seeing him slowly become less and less human as the film progresses as well and seeing him become more and more of the stem because after he gets hacked okay look at it this way like he said after he killed the first person after he kind of set those the, the the wheels in motion of oh we now know who this guy is and that they're now aware that somebody's hunting them there's no going back now this organization's going to kill you because they know that they've been compromised so there was no turning back after that initial point so our main character made that initial mistake of saying hey i have this ability now knowing so he had to know that he was going to make this mistake that he wasn't mentally strong enough to just sit in that chair once he made that mistake everything happened after that he made that decision to go into that man's house and do a attack him and to say take control after that moment on there was no going back there was no fucking going back and i just love how the story is handled with that aspect and the way that it's tied together at the end absolutely fucking i yeah i thought the same thing too when i was watching that uh re-watching it like um he yeah he really dug his own grave on that situation mm-hmm. where he chose to actually take matters into his own hands so it's kind of like what steve said yes he did get the fucking his revenge but it all comes at a price and so and- you know, i do i do think that Sorry, I was just going to say, I do think that, well, they're in talks of making a TV series. Of yes. This, so hopefully oh, wow. they will explain a lot, a lot more. You said the, the upgraded? Well, that that would be a perfect title for yes. it. I don't know if it's going to be called, but yeah, hopefully it's called Upgraded if they do go ahead with it. And I hope that they... Um, it's more about the group of people. With, yeah. Yeah. And maybe elaborate a little bit more on with Grey being stuck in that virtual world that him and his wife are in well, or even making about a separate group of people and have him introduced at the end as the big bad guy because now he is 
like like uh, fit, like uh, Homeboy mm. said at the end, I haven't been in control of this company for a very long time. This guy's like Jarvis for the Stark Industries right now. He's completely taken over. He's his own mind operating everything. So what's not to say, you know, this upgraded thing follows another group of people who are either part of this upgraded people or are like Fisk and are trying to fight against it. Yes. Yeah, because I don't think I, do I don't love. think Stem would try to make more of of himself vessel you know cobalts I mean? you know th- there's these companies out there that fuck stem is running right now so it'd be cool to see like this hybrid cyborg group fight against them almost kind of like terminator but they're accepting the technology to help them in this battle yeah i do like that post-apocalyptic all over again down this way mm-hmm. that'd be rad as fuck you're a new yeah. mad max lee winnell make it happen baby fuck yeah Fucking a. i'll be down for that shit so impact and takeaways my boys dkb Oh, well, you just can't beat a low-budget sci-fi horror and action film um, that relies on smart script writing, and that's what Lee Winnell does best. Um, Even with his direction, I mean, this is his second directorial debut, and he knocks it out of the park, but but his use for practical effects... I will say, say Insidious Chapter 3, probably not the best starting point for any feature film, the third of a franchise. Like, I get you you got to work with Mr. Wan, but... Yeah. Redemption! Redemption! Full redemption here. Absolutely. And, like, I think that was a good learning curve for him, because especially him being so familiar with that franchise. Um, And he's obviously learnt from that. But, you know, I'm I'm just glad Lee got to show us how good of a uh, director and screenwriter he uh, really is with this film. Um, He's had to creatively think outside of the box, and that just focuses more on the elements of AI technology. And it's, it's like I said, it's pretty much around the corner. It's it's interesting and scary at the same time. Um, but yeah, no, I, hats off to Mr. Wan. Uh, I was going to say fucking James Wan then, to Mr. Winnell for creating such a fucking story that elaborates today. And this was like a few years ago. So, I mean... The was Invisible Man a shot in uh, Australia? Uh, in Sydney, yes. So, so we can so. technically do that film? Yes, okay. if you'd like. I got that delicious 4K over there that I'll gladly put in any day. Safe! You know, it, this this movie, if you think about it, is actually scary in a sense because of the way that the world is headed. You know, We are so- a nut hair away from this. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're super dependent on technology and, you know, we have self-driving cars. Granted, they're not as futuristic as the ones we got in the Or film, terrible looking. Well, I... I, I would totally drive one of those or let one of those drive me around. Oh, I totally. think they look fucking shithouse. The best looking car in this is the <laughs> fucking Firebird. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you can't beat a classic. You you can't beat a classic, that, you know, hands down. But, you know, it, it's it's just scary knowing that one day in the, in the near future, they're going to have something like this. They're, okay, I here's mean, a question. If all of us had to get upgraded, what would your upgrade be? Mine would be a built-in microphone. Ooh. <laughs> I would I would uh, want some kind of uh, some, some Something to help the vocal cords. Uh, EMF detector. So EMF detector you know? in your fucking hand. Well, yeah. <laughs> I like singing too. I want my screams back. I want to have okay, that awesome enough. voice I had back in the day, you know? So that, that I think that would be my... So you have a modulator in yours and mine just has an amplifer. Brody? Well, there you go. I don't know. This is a fucking tough question. I'd probably get the gun in my arm. Um... And then I'd upgrade my dick to a Bobby Amoni penis. (laughs) (laughs) That's a huge bitch. Uh, you You would have to make sure not to jerk off with that gun hand loaded. Because you might blow Ooh. that sausage to Kingdom Come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. So I might get the gun in my left left hand. 
boom, shotgun to the dick. Bang. That's right. Okay, so I will say that there was one part of this film that I thought was lackluster, but then again, I'm not a fan of these scenes anyway, and that would be the car chase. Uh, I'm not a big fan of car sequences unless they're done short, sweet, to the point. The only expectation would be crash, but that's for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah, for some reason, the car the car chase between the police car and the Firebird just didn't do anything for me. But other than that, I think that this film is just a, such a cool starting point of what could be a cool uh, TV series, like we mentioned before. And I think that you can definitely Definitely see the influences of the aforementioned Terminator, Scanners, and Robocop work here. And I really love just the aesthetic that he has going for everything in this film. His work is super derivative of films that he loves himself, and it's super prevalent in everything he does. And we need more of those type of filmmakers in Hollywood making films today, because those are the types of films I want to see. Those are the types of films my boys here want to see. So uh, keep being film lovers. Keep making those films we like what you're doing fucking i so boys let's rate this motherfucker cybernetic neural implants out of five brody i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a 4.5 Ooh. 4.5 scoop i'm gonna go a little bit higher and give it a 4.7 because i loved it i'm gonna give it a 4.2 and that has an lce score of 4.5 out of five for lee winnell's upgrade from 2018 next episode is it is Dario Argento's underrated classic from 1985, Phenomena. And that will be coming to you very soon. We have double episodes booked for you guys. So stay tuned for some excellent content coming very, very soon. And you can find that all over on projectlouder.net, your source for pop culture and so much more. And that is home to other great podcasts such as Ghoulies Unflushed, the TJ Bowser Power Hour, Big Bad Beetle Bro, Somewhat Supernatural, Fatality of Mortal Kombat Retrospective, Wrestling Ruined, and Rabbit Hole, and so many others. And you can listen to those on Spotify, Audible, Google Play, iTunes, or anywhere else you consume audio only content you can also check us out on youtube and twitch at project louder and of course when you go on projectlouder.net hit that merch tab and, and support the network i will say that we will be at the steel city comic-con from august 13th through the 15th me and scuba steve will be at the project louder booth slang and deals we will have exclusive t-shirts that are only available at this con so supplies last come get them while they're hot yeah guys thank you for uh joining me on this conversation conversation about 2018's upgrade until next time this is the pod boss signing off this is your doppelganger kanga banger all the way from down under saying i'll catch you next week motherfuckers this is your host with the ghost scuba steve saying see you later bitches
Team Leslie, fuck. In a not so distant future where the machines have seamlessly integrated. Fuck. Fuck. We'll we'll slow her down a little bit and just kind of remember I can speed it up in the edit. So one word at a time. Integrated. 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 Fuck me. It's one of them words. Right. In a not so distant future where the machines have seamlessly integrated into the multi fate. Multi Today, Junior. <laughs> Fuck. Badass. Fuck. Badass. Fuck. Badass. Fuck. Badass.